want someone to tell me what's good. I want someone to tell me what's bad. Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the works and adapted works of Brett Easton Ellis. I am your host, Katie Wright. And before we get to my guest, I have a quick announcement. Uh, this is this episode's coming out a little late, but it's uh, it's our last officially weekly episode. After this, we're going to be switching to a monthly format because we will have pretty much completed all of the major works of of Brett's career. But I still have many more thoughts on him, much more to talk about. Um, we're going to be revisiting some of the works we've already talked about with new guests to get new perspectives. We're going to look at some of the more obscure uh, entries in his career uh, look at the works of some associated artists so there's still a lot to talk about so uh, keep keep listening to the podcast if you're enjoying it all right <laughs> so now joining us for the second time or third time depending on how you look at it uh, the lovely returning guest the lovely and wonderful Maddie Evenheiser. Addie. Maddie. Hello. I'm sorry, I called you Addie. Hi. Oh, no, that's a, I like that. So this is, full disclosure, our second time recording this episode because my computer lost the first time. Uh, so if we sound oddly rehearsed, that's why. So, Maddie, thank you for being here again to record the same episode a second time. Uh, so, uh, what... What was your relationship to the movie The Informers going in? Did you have any? I didn't really know it existed. Um, uh, It's not like American Psycho, where it sort of has a life uh, outside of uh, Freddie Snellis, or even like a pretty big life for a Hollywood movie. Um, So yeah, I didn't even really... I had no idea what it was about. You were like, The Informers, and I was like sure <laughs> and then I looked up the Wikipedia page and I was like oh here we are um so yeah 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 and it was I did not rewatch it Me neither. Uh, <laughs> which might lead some to assume where this podcast is going to go with the movie but yeah, yeah. it's not a movie that necessarily requires multiple watchings yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine this being someone's like favorite movie, you know? Yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is for somebody, you know, but it's just I can't I I can't see it. It's hard to imagine. Um and you were interested part of the reason you were interested in talking about this movie was because one of the writers is Brady Stanellis. The other writer is Nicholas Jarecki. Yeah. Who is the younger brother of I still can't remember his name. Um no, I can't remember. Big Brother Jarecki. <laughs> I'm I'm also just famously bad at remembering names. I've forgotten the name of like my favorite director before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Um, okay. Either way, he's the guy who made the Jenks, mm-hmm. and I was kind of curious to see this because I knew from Andrew. Andrew, yes, it's Andrew Jarecki. Um, because I knew that Andrew Jarecki had done um, the the the. the now I'm forgetting again. Uh, finding the Freedmen. Capturing, capturing the Freedmen. I have a synonym. Um, <laughs> but I, I had seen that he had done that, and because Andrew Jarecki had done the Jenks, I was just really curious to sort of see their different um, 
I don't know. They're the different ways and I it's not it's not one-to-one synonymous of course because like one has like a directed series where the other is just like a co-writer but um it was kind of interesting because I have a lot of strong feelings about the jinx um and I just was curious to see if those same things hold held for a movie that was sort of also about like uh seedy underbellies and rich assholes and stuff like that yeah they do seem like both of them are are drawn towards really the darkest the darkest aspects of humanity yeah in in like a way that is actually like I don't know I I think it is like really interestingly connected because it's um it's that sort of uh the the veneer of like celebrity and wealth and all of that and then below it is like crime and and you know Uh, messiness and um, I think that's like a really interesting thing that they're both I mean I guess that is a pretty common human curiosity (laughs) but it is cool to see like two two different uh, filmmakers who are siblings take on that yeah totally so uh, this film The Informers is adapted from uh, a book that is sometimes described as a collection of short stories and sometimes described as a loosely connected novel um and it is in my opinion brett's absolute worst fiction um (laughs) i think white is a worse book um but as far as his fiction i think it's clearly the worst and um I, th- I think it was written before any of his other fiction, even though it was released later in his career because it was just released at a time it when makes he was so hot. much sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it feels immature. Right? Yeah. It, it definitely feels like all the stuff that it seems like he's curious in, but does not have like nearly the breadth of like experience or like empathy to actually <laughs> like engage with. Um, debatable whether he has the experience to engage with it now but he's definitely (laughs) done it more successfully I shouldn't say that I have not read any of his books (laughs) I've only seen works based on them so yeah you should read some I'd be interested interested in talking to you so um come here oh you're a real handful come here he like preps for you to pick him up like a baby yeah (laughs) oh yeah, he's my he's my biological son. Oh, we're he's blood beautiful. relatives. Yeah, he's my baby boy. Um, <laughs> every time I see an article that's like, are are millennial women using pets to replace babies? <laughs> I'm like, I bet most of them aren't. But ooh, boy, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was. But but you're you're an amazing mom. Thank you so much. I will hold him <laughs> in one arm while I like cook dinner. Like I do a lot of baby stuff with him. <laughs> that does. This is. I'm so sorry. This is a total segue. No, but like it. that makes sense because uh, do you ever? Because there's like that. There's like a Tumblr post where someone talks about like when they put their wash basket on their hip and they're like suddenly I'm like a Scottish commoner and I'm hiking up my skirt to take my wash from the pond and hang it up and like my I'm gonna secretly meet up with the girl I love later and we're gonna like you know kiss in the bushes and I also feel that same way if I'm like holding Liz like I'm just like Oh, this I feel like I'm in another place right now, and <laughs> yeah. it's pretty good for right now. Yeah. But I'm I'm glad I don't actually. I'm not yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, 
absolutely i also get that like surge of maternal feeling if i put like a grocery bag on my hip like it just feels like (laughs) it's like you're a a mother accomplishing a lot of tasks and keeping it together and that's the thing (laughs) that i like is that it doesn't i don't feel like the weight of the patriarchy i'm like i feel like a badass (laughs) i love it yeah all right so I'm so sorry. No, that was me. I started us on that tangent, and I love it, and it's staying in the podcast. Okay. So um, the various threads of, of this movie are all taken from the book, um, but a lot of the threads of the book are dropped, uh, and the ones that are kept in the movie are sort of extended, but kind of not really. Um, but they're more intertwined with each other than they are in the book. Yeah, I definitely, this is like definitely skipping so much, but I, I think you can, you can definitely tell the lack of cohesion because like there is not really an ending to any of it. Yeah. Like it all just sort of stops as opposed to ends. And, and that was kind of like, it seemed um, with a lot of the changes like that the director made that he just didn't really know where to like tie it off in a nice nod. So he was just like, well, I guess we're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, as I talked about this last time, um, uh, I read an interview with Brett that came out like shortly after the movie came out, and the interview was on uh, ChuckPolanyak.net for some reason <laughs> um, with one of their in-house reporters. I don't understand what ChuckPolanyak.net is. <laughs> I don't either, but it does remind me of being on like forums in middle, like that it has like big like middle school forum <laughs> vibes where like you talk about the like latest tidbit of news that came out yeah, totally. and like you talk about your day with your forum friends. Like, yeah. absolutely. It's beautiful. <laughs> but then they also have an in-house reporter. Right, so. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and uh, they were talking about it. The reporter, like, kind of liked the movie. And um, Brett, like, even though he's on the record as not liking it now, he was, like, kind of tiptoeing around it at the time. He was he was weirdly trying to be diplomatic, which you don't really <laughs> see from him that much. Uh, but I guess it had, like, just come out. So he didn't want to tank it more than it was going to tank already. Um, that the, the interviewer was, like, yeah, I mean, I liked it. I can't really remember how the story with Tim and his dad ended. And Brett's like, that's because it didn't end. <laughs> Which is absolutely true. Watching watching the movie, like, if you keep track of where the threads are going, that, that one in particular truly does not end. I, I like how they were like, driving off into the distance is how a lot of other movies end, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so originally, the... Uh, the vision for this movie was supposed to be like a lot more campy and like over the top and it was supposed to be a comedy and it was supposed to be like three hours long and it was supposed to be directed by Nicholas Jaraki. I think that would have been so much better. Yeah, me too. Me too. Even like in general, I don't like movies that are like three hours long. Um, You got some great ones in there, but also I think sometimes people really... It's like, why are we seeing this? But I would have rather spent another hour and 20 minutes watching something that was at least, like, semi-enjoyable and entertaining and, like, maybe trying to say something as opposed to this, which is just, like, dark and cynical. And it's like it has the... uh, It it understands the motifs of cinema where it's, like, 
oh, this is how movies say things, but it doesn't actually have anything underneath it to say. So you just have sort of like empty shots that like in a movie that had any semblance of like structure or emotions would mean something. But it's like, oh, that's just, yeah, he he cut his hand. Like, <laughs> and now we're looking at it. Uh, that sure happened, but it doesn't really hold any meaning for me or any meaning for the character or anything past that. Right, yeah. Yeah, it is kind of like, if you just looked at stills from this movie, it would seem a lot more competent than it is. Because it's from shot this movie. really well. Yeah, stills from this movie, I, I almost feel like if you had like a nice Blu-ray still of it, it would look almost like... Um, <laughs> he found something on the floor. <laughs> I think he found some, a little piece of the Taco Belly earlier. Sorry. <laughs> He barked at you so hard, his upper leg, his front leg lifted off the floor. I could not laugh. It was just the best thing I've ever seen. Um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, yes, the stills. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like if you took stills from this movie, you would almost think of like, um, like a collateral or like a zodiac mm. and I'm, I, I, or like a prisoner's or like kind of the things that come to mind where it's like they're all – now I'm trying to. No, okay, they're all different cinematographers. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was just well, naming you know one who the cinematographers are. I only I'm I'm I know for two of them, and then I'm guessing. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, so I I feel like you would really get like vibes of like directors who are like very film bro directors but like who actually are like trying to do interesting stuff and say things whereas like instead when you actually watch them in motion they're absolutely meaningless (laughs) yeah yeah but they look very pretty and they do like the one thing I think that they do well is like capture the aesthetic of the Brett Easton Ellis extended universe even though they don't really capture anything else about it because it's just like this grim humorless world yeah and it's so much like because um because you mentioned last time that one of the characters is from American Psycho but one of my like immediate critiques was that the there's um early on in the movie there's a scene of just like a bunch of dudes who are friends chatting and they all are so desperately trying to talk like Patrick Bateman like Christian Bale's Patrick Bateman and it's like I in isolation like that I think that's like a pretty good move because it's showing that they're all just they all have this like vapidness I I don't this is when I get going I say things and I'm like well I don't mean that um but they all have like that sort of posturing and um but then when you've already seen American Psycho and you've seen how good it is you look at that and you're like what is happening and what are you all doing yeah it doesn't work um but but there are some I I think um and you opened my eyes to this as well I think there's the the one guy who is in that conversation actually gives a pretty good performance um he plays sort of the main character well I I would say in a movie that has multiple protagonists it's probably him who's the main one Graham Um, Graham yeah Yeah. um so yeah yeah he he feels like the most he's he's certainly the most like 
a conventional protagonist type character so that's maybe part of it and I think a lot of the plot stuff is going like because like his mom and dad are also sort of a plot and so is his girlfriend and his friend so like it feels like there's the most plot stuff happening around yeah that's true um but I think he he definitely gives a performance that like the movie doesn't deserve at the very (laughs) least (laughs) yeah that guy who I think um is like really really well cast I think he's like a good actor who's like cast really well um uh and I think he would have been a perfect Clay Easton in Less Than Zero now he's probably too old um that's tragic when you have a perfect actor to play someone I have so many like fan casts from when I was like 12 yeah and I'm like well yeah throw that down the drain (laughs) yeah (laughs) um his name is uh oh John Foster and I found out he's Ben Foster's brother. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my. Okay, I am like a massive Ben Foster. Fan. Oh, so really? that yeah, I I think Ben Foster is like one of the like greatest actors working in his generation. Oh, that's amazing. I think he's amazing. Aww. Everyone should watch Leave No Trace. But um, <laughs> that that's actually really cool, and that makes a lot of sense. Like with his look and everything too. Yeah. Now I see it because Ben Foster often. <laughs> Ben Foster Foster kind of often tends to play like um really like trashy white guys mm-hmm. um who also tend to be like uh confederate sympathizers <laughs> I found is like a theme um interesting <laughs> or just like uh I I think that and uh, he's because in Hell or, Hell or High Water, he's very much like a southerner, like waving the Confederate flag. Okay. And then I feel like there's another movie where he does that, and he just keeps getting. And he 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 like interviews have shown have said that he's like a joy to work with, yeah. but he just keeps keeps getting cast as these dirtbags. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really that's fascinating. I'm kind of surprised he didn't get more work after yeah. that. Then especially with that connection. Yeah, I agree. It's strange. I don't know why. And with the movie that's so full of other stars that also yeah. give performances that this movie does not warrant. Yeah. Um, it has, yeah, it has a pretty, like, stacked cast. It's got Billy Bob Thornton. It's got... Um, Winona Ryder. Yeah, although it is Winona Ryder, like, mid-career slump. So yeah. it's, like, not... It's Pre-Stranger like, Things. Yeah. Um, it's got... Um, Mickey Rourke. Yes. Um, um, who's the lady? the other lady oh amber heard is in it amber heard i don't think she was famous yet though no kim basinger oh yeah yeah, yeah. singer uh it's it's wild it makes me wonder if these people signed on for like the big three-hour romp you know if and then changes got made just because that's such a i don't know i feel like for like it was a really it was pretty oh no it ended up being we did this last time yeah. where it was actually like really expensive to me. Yeah. It was... um, so maybe they got a good payday out of it. But yeah. um, I, I'm just so, like, it's so curious from like an artistic standpoint, like if you like reading the script and then, or maybe they thought they could like really do something with it. That's another thing that I think I've become more aware of after um, sort of being adjacent to the industry is that um, you can have really, really good performances. And um, when you edit the movie, you like pick what you put in and where you put it. And so performances can be like really elevated oh, yeah. or like kind of downgraded by the editing. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, just everything is so up and down and mixed and everything <laughs> has a part in everything else. So it's always really complicated to try and like 
figure stuff out like that <laughs> yeah. in postmortem. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it's probably really hard to tell like before a movie's been made, <laughs> like what yeah. like what it's gonna yeah. turn out to be. Like all you really have to go off of is like who's directing and who wrote it. And, and you know, like after Brady Stanellis is after American Psycho, yeah, which like was a, a you know a hit, and yeah, I can definitely see people being like, "This is gonna be a big thing." Yeah, have you ever seen? Um, I was just thinking of like, I feel like there's kind of a genre of movie that's like a grim drama that like no one's ever heard of that has like a surprisingly A-list cast. Yes. And the first one that I thought of, is you ever, have you ever heard of a movie called Disconnected? I haven't. It had um, Alexander Skarsgård. It had um, Paula, what was her name? She was married to Robin Thicke. Paula, Paula Patton. Paula Patton. Um, it had Jason Bateman. I, I think it had other, I think it had some other people of note. Um, I saw it because there was some actor that I cared about at the time. I think it was... Um, Fuck, I can't remember his name, but he was on Bates Motel. He wasn't Norman Bates. He was mm. the big brother. He was Dylan. Um, anyway, I just saw it because there was some like random guy that I cared about in it. But it's like got a, it's got like it's like an ensemble cast and it's got like quite a few like big names in it. And I don't think anyone <laughs> I don't think anyone knows it exists. I feel like it was instantly forgotten. Um, and I feel like that's a genre of movie. <laughs> that, like, it definitely feels like that's the sort of thing, um, like, the sort of, like, grim, like, um, like, maybe, like, oh, crime, but it's, like, deep and indie is, yeah. like, something that studios are, like, ooh, let's see if we can get some award season buzz. And yeah. we'll just, like, throw a little bit of money in it and try to make it back or something like that. Yeah. Those movies are, tend to be just, like, hysterical to watch, though. <laughs> no, I don't have anything, any that immediately come to mind, but, like, as soon as you said that, I was, like, oh, yeah, I definitely, <laughs> like, I've definitely seen that on, like, just scrolling through Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> or also, this is a, a different kind of movie but like the fact that it's like a grim ensemble makes me think of I can't I'm not sure how the timeline adds up I don't know if Crash was before or after this oh I, I think Crash either. had come out I think Crash was before it was 2006 or 2007 and the informers was 2008 so so it was so it's like it's in you know an ensemble world. it's like it's not really plot driven but it's like all oh, these people's lives are interconnecting so i could see some people like looking at it and being like oh is this the next crash <laughs> yeah and oh 2008 God, yeah. so that's right in the window of like still public opinion being very yeah crash. Uh. That explains why they don't deal with race at all in the Emperor's because <laughs> yeah. Crash had already solved that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Crash came out and then Obama got elected. Racism was done. <laughs> uh, let's go through a little bit of what the specific story threads of the movie are. Um, the first one, it, we open on a a cool looking 80s party real real bready stanelisy looking yeah look like looks like a blast it does it looks great there's people next to a pool i feel like everybody's wearing like t-shirts with blazers even though they're next to a oh, pool yeah Is that right? really <laughs> ill-fitting blazers yeah. too if i remember correctly yeah they're so big pretty bulky yeah um and then somebody gets hit by a car and dies dies really dark yeah with like a what a note to start a movie on like 
I, I'll say that I'll say that for it at least like I there's a couple of movies I know I've tried to watch and I was just like I don't know what's happening but also nothing that's happening is interesting enough to hold my attention <laughs> uh-huh. but this I was like he got hit by a car and then he like reaches up to it's Graham's face yeah. I believe yeah. he reaches up and some of the blood gets on Graham's face and yeah. I was like and I was actually a little bit excited. I was like, where are we going with this? Because, like, if we're going to be solving who killed this guy, because I think it's a hit and run. It's, um, it's so weird. It's also really unclear because like, they also never deal with it. Yeah. It's so weird. It has the effect of a hit and run, but based on what we see on screen, it seems like somebody was backing out of the driveway and hit him, and, like, the car is still there, but the oh. driver is not part of this equation. <laughs> like, that person's just sitting in their car this whole time or something. Oh, my God. They just, like, didn't deal with it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but, yeah, it, but... I thought it was going to turn into, like, a fun, like, uh, let's, in, in, the, in the dark CD, you know... Uh, underbelly of Los Angeles let's find who killed our friend or something or at least like dealing with that a a little bit and it doesn't like literally the next scene is him um, having sex with his girlfriend (laughs) who's Amber Heard and um, then they realize they're late for the funeral of the friend who just got killed yeah so that's like the most that they deal with it yeah (laughs) and if you're being generous you could say that he's trying to like cope but the rest of the movie makes you realize that you have no reason to be generous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I heard that originally the the death was supposed to be more like more like the death in the book, which it happens out in the desert. It happens in us. I think oh. it happens in Palm Springs. Um, and I think it is a hit and run because it's like on the highway. But then they didn't have the budget <laughs> to find a desert. So they just shot it next to the pool. And it seems like they didn't adjust for the fact that it was no longer a hit and run. That is, that those sort of things make me like feel a little bit better about myself <laughs> as an artist. Because it's totally what, you know, when you're doing like a short film project and you're like, well, the light bulb's out, and I don't want to go get another one. So, like, <laughs> it doesn't do continuity, but stand closer to the window. <laughs> like, whatever. It's nice to know that professionals getting paid millions of dollars also do that sometimes. Yeah. And then some of them never work again, yes. which is also terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think the guy who directed, who ended up directing this, didn't work Hasn't again. Hasn't done. Yeah, he. I think he's done like maybe like a couple music videos and some shorts, but I don't think he's done another feature since. Yeah. So. Which makes sense because this movie cost. We we just we found out eighteen million. Yeah. And what it, did we find it out? It made, made like, like less than 000. a million. Yeah. yeah it, I feel like it made less than half a million. Yeah. I'm remembering yes, yes. right. You're totally right. It was like I've Ugh. I've really like never seen numbers that tragically low. That's- it's on a movie that like had a wide release hilarious really sad well and just um this is random but uh-huh. um there's a movie called the farewell coming out that's like uh-huh. an indie like movie that's like very highly anticipated and it literally opened in four theaters and it made more than three hundred thousand dollars wow. this uh oh past God. weekend so yeah it's domestic gross was three hundred eighty two thousand one hundred seventy four and i think it's i think it's international gross if I'm remembering correctly big, was like five pull, or six I imagine and um really really grabbing the Chinese market with this story as as blockbusters are doing now yeah absolutely that's why they don't say anything negative about the Chinese government in this movie for the 
a worldwide it's release. Definitely, they definitely knew where they were aiming. Yeah, absolutely. I would be... I now I want to know. I would be really surprised if it came out in China at all, just because oh. they like choose what they release. Oh yeah. Um, so I'd be curious. I would. I now just like going down a rabbit hole, but I would actually <laughs> be really curious to see if they would release this there. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe that's why the the international, the worldwide gross is like it's not even like double the the domestic gross. I wonder if mm. it just didn't get released in that many other countries. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because the whole would make sense. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I like no. getting into like the weird nitty gritties. No, I love it. Stuff. I love it. Um, oh, but so the guy who gets hit by the car in the beginning was originally supposed to be played by Brandon Routh. And after he gets hit by the car. Superman himself. Superman himself. My Superman. The only true <laughs> Superman. True. Um, I saw a thing recently that was like. Superman Returns destroyed Brandon Routh's career for like a decade, but it didn't even cause a ding in Brian Singer's career. And I was oh like, my oh god, that's so I, fucked up. That is incredibly fucked up. I honestly totally forgot that he even directed that. I, I that is forgot. Yeah, infuriating. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, because it seems like he, um, just like looking, just like looking at him, I feel like he would be a really cool LA vampire because yeah. he's like he can be like pretty suave and like, which is I can see like the slick back hair and like maybe doing some pale makeup and yeah. he'd be like real slick on the streets of LA, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you don't get to see Brandon Ralph play like menace that much. But I feel like he has it in him to do it really well. And I want that. I kind of feel, and this is a new theory that I just put in my mind right now. I feel like maybe playing Superman, you have to have you have to have the other side of the coin. Yeah. Because you know? Henry Cavill has that. He's also doofy and silly, <laughs> but like he fuck you up in Mission Impossible. And also he's playing Geralt in the Witcher series. So like, I don't know, maybe you got to have like a little bit of darkness to like make choosing the light mean anything. I don't know anything about comic books and I don't want to get yelled at. But um, now I'm curious. Yeah. I And now I'm sad because I just want a vampire story in this in this deeply nothing movie it would really punch this movie at least up. there would be a vampire yeah like, like no matter how shittily executed it would make this movie so much more palatable to just be like there's a fucking vampire on yeah, screen it would add like a wackiness factor because i yeah. feel like movies like this that are actually that are like grim and not well made but like fun to watch mm-hmm. can like are usually just have one plot element that does not make any sense <laughs> to work with that like makes you keep watching and this is just like absolutely nothing it's just a bunch of terrible people <laughs> yeah this just aside on on brandon ralph's potential to play evil i know you're not really familiar with glamorama but it's another Bretty stanellis novel uh and it's got a handsome charismatic former male model terrorist Ooh. at the center of it who's described as be- having like black hair and like you know huge muscles and everything and brandon ralph is my dream casting for bobby hughes in a theoretical glamorama movie so somebody make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then go back in time and make John Foster play Clay Easton <laughs> when he was 19. <laughs> I think we can do that. Yeah. Time travel. We got it. Yeah. I That's like first so. on the list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then we'll kill Hitler of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make the movie in 1940 and everyone will be super confused. Yeah. Perfect. 
The Informers also has one of the most ugly uh, movie posters I've ever seen in my life. It's so bad. It's like a man made from a 3D printer, but like yeah. not even a good one. Yeah. Um, it just looks just like, like you a put like. Cast. It looks like you put the words video game protagonist into a 3D printer <laughs> and then like made the poster him looking down with no expression on his face. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes this. It makes this movie look like it's going to have a sci-fi element that it 100% does not have. Yes. I was kind of expecting there to be one. I was at least... It really confused me because I was expecting it to take place at least a little bit in the future, even if it wasn't like sci-fi. But it actually takes place in the 80s. And so I I actually... um, I watched this um, with our friend Tom and turned to them and I was like, why are they wearing these things? Like, this is really... <laughs> and they were like, no, it takes place in the 80s. <laughs> I was so confused. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned there's the funeral. Which they also have a sushi bar at, which is how I want to go. Yeah. Um, sushi bar at my funeral. Sushi bar, open bar, let's rock. That's perfect. You know? I'm in. <laughs> Please invite me to your funeral. I will. I'll, I'll make sure. That'll be the thing. It won't be like, oh, yeah, I'll invite you to my wedding. It'll mm-hmm. be like, here's a preemptive invitation to my funeral. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. We should make that a thing. Yeah, actually, I think that's like a very touching. Yeah, I'd like save the <laughs> day. Like, we're going to be friends for, forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Until death. Oh, yeah, that is nice. <laughs> we're going to make, let's make this the new, the new millennial trend that there's a BuzzFeed yes, article Yes, that everyone about. gets mad about. Yes. I like it. Uh, let's take a quick break <laughs> and when we get back we'll dig into uh, the many reasons this movie's terrible <laughs> people ask me why should I listen to your podcast because there's like 10 million X-Files podcasts in there I say one we give great commentary because all those other X-Files podcasts they're just like fucking masturbating over Chris Carter's creation. Yeah. Number two, we will make you come. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. Yeah, it's gonna happen. We'll, we'll hit a button sooner or later. Yeah, we're, you know what? We're gonna cover so many fucking hot topics, and one of them someday, gonna be yours. Gonna and be you yours. might not even know it. You'll be sitting there listening, you'll be like, oh, damn. <laughs> I completed, and I didn't even know that was my thing. Five stars. <laughs> Review, please. Catch the Double X Files Tuesdays at noon on your favorite podcast app. Baby, we'll treat you so right. Okay, so after the delicious, delicious funeral, um, <laughs> uh, a bunch of young dudes this is the scene that you're talking about where everybody is sort of playing patrick bateman yeah um, uh they're all sitting around being very disaffected about the fact that their friend just died they have one friend who is like being emotional about it and they're being a dick to him um and their one friend sad. their one friend was on the debate team episode of community yeah. which was very oh, yeah, distracting yeah, yeah. for me when i realized it <laughs> Uh, he definitely um, has a big uh, um, Lewis. Yeah, uh, he has a big Lewis energy from 
um, American Psycho. Not quite as like um, egregiously queer coded, but just um, him being emotional in any way <laughs> draws the derision of all the men around him. Um, yeah, he's not queer coded, but he is very much like that guy's the pussy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're all really mean to him honestly yeah. other than them being mean to him like i can't remember what they talk about um <laughs> yeah he just like uh, yeah he's just sad he's yeah. sad at a funeral and they make fun of him for <laughs> yeah. it yeah um yeah it's mostly them just like making small talk and being like maybe we'll go to a movie and he just keeps being like i can't believe you guys are talking about going to a movie and then it comes to a like like, I sort of enjoy that, like, you know, weird dissonance. Um, but then when it ki- it kind of comes to a head that I find very disagreeable, <laughs> where Graham is like, don't you dare tell me that I'm not feeling enough because I was there <laughs> the night he died and I had his blood on my face. And it just feels like not the right yeah. tone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, like, I don't want to see this guy being, like, a cold sociopath and then have him flip around to being this, like, overwrought... Like, I want him yeah, to just kind exactly. of buy into not having feelings. I don't want that, like, facade to break. Yeah. Um, in front of, like, other characters, yeah. you know? If it, yeah, or if it's going to break, it should be, like, a climactic moment. Of yeah. The movie. Like, that should yeah. be a big deal. Climactic or sort of, like, just for the audience, yeah. you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, and then, and then Sad Boy runs away crying. And everybody makes Graham go after him because I guess Graham's the least dickish and they all know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, is it Graham that they signed or is it Tim? It was one of the ones played by an actor I at all cared about. (laughs) I think think it's Graham. I don't remember. I think it's Graham. It would make sense for it to be Graham, definitely. I think it is. Um, And Tim, as we mentioned before, is the Tim Price from American Psycho, who's played by Justin Theroux. And he's being played here by, oh, I looked up his name. It's weird. Lou Taylor Pucci. Oh, that's a great name. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, like, that's a great acting name, you know? It's very it's distinctive. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, when you look at it, it, you see, like, it's like P-U-C-C-I. It's like, okay, yeah, Italian. But then whenever I, whenever I say it, I just think of Pucci from The Simpsons. Um, but, yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> this guy, I feel like, pops up a lot. I just keep seeing him places and i keep being like oh it's that guy again because he just has Mm. like a distinctive face yeah and he's he's like playing a cute boy pretty convincingly in this but i feel like he often plays like a weird creep and he has a face that kind of can go either way with equal ease yeah (laughs) kind of like a a will poulter face Mm -hmm. i've been a will poulter fan since he was in the narnia movie oh wow and he plays a dick in that movie too so he's been doing it successfully for like (laughs) 10 years now (laughs) i'm so obsessed with will poulter i want to start a will poulter podcast honestly that would be amazing to like watch his filmography because he has like one from being like because he started acting like pretty young Mm -hmm. um Oh, watch Bandersnatch again. Oh, so good. That's what got me into Will Poulter. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, I think he gives, I don't really, I don't really like Bandersnatch, apart from being, like, kind of an interesting exercise, but Will Poulter is so good He's at it. so good at it. He, yeah. he just gets that, um, I, I know you haven't seen Midsummer yet. I'm so excited he to see it, though. He is incredible in Midsummer. There's a great, uh, like, uh, sn- screenshot that's been going around of 
uh, one of the parental websites talking about Midsummer, and it's like tobacco use, and it's like a character is constantly seen vaping, and that's him, and it's awesome. <laughs> They're in the beautiful Swedish countryside, and you'll just see like him pull up, pull like rip up. <laughs> I I don't know anything about like vaping nicotine but he just like <laughs> lets it roll it's awesome i'm so excited oh <laughs> i'm glad God. i embarrassed myself about not knowing how you take I, rips of vapes i also do not know i don't, <laughs> I don't know how you do anything <laughs> um but yes i would love to talk about will Poulter <laughs> forever sadly he does not appear in this like, movie you turn right now podcast i'm i'm here for it let's do it <laughs> i'm so sorry we keep, we keep going on tangents no it's um, totally fine this uh, movie does not deserve <laughs> the respect of us staying on topic so okay what happens after the kid runs away crying let's see is that when we cut to billy bob thornton yes it is who is a movie producer and I Graham's didn't dad. realize that either. <laughs> I, I know that they talk, like, they mention it, but it's like not a huge, I feel like the rock star is the only character who's, I guess him and like the aspiring actor maybe, whose career is like a big part of the movie. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because I, I, I think that was a fun thing to sort of, um, the dichotomy of that with American Psycho is interesting because mm. uh, Patrick Bateman has a job, has a title, but doesn't do anything when he's in the office. Um, and then you have these people who are just rich and don't care about the job or the title. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was like a really interesting um, comparison between the two sorts of like wealth. Yeah, and it's sort of like East Coast, West Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I... I um, I'm in Santa Monica pretty regularly and just like I'll be driving there at like eight in the morning and see people with their yoga stuff on coming back from the beach and I'm just like who are you (laughs) (laughs) like what is this yeah I'm Um, so like I'm so happy that I landed in a part of the valley that is like all poor people yeah like there's no cool stuff here and that sucks but like everyone I run across is also like on their way to Walmart yeah (laughs) like they're they're normal people that is because yeah and then I'll be I'll be like going on runs I'll just be like going on a coffee run and I I'm always surrounded by like people and I'm never sure because I don't want to presume but I'm I'm like I hope they don't think that I'm just like lounging around because I do genuinely have to be so (laughs) because I'm working and and I'm just like surrounded by the touristy area and it's like what is this? <laughs> uh ran- I'm sorry random but yeah it, it definitely felt like a very accurate picture of just like what wealthy LA seems like at least from observation yeah totally um so William like doesn't have a lot going on as a character in this movie in my opinion um, but his big thing is that he's sleeping with Winona Ryder. <laughs> he's sleeping with Winona Ryder, who's a who's a weather woman, I think. Yeah, or news she's a news anchor. anchor. News yeah. anchor. Um, I think in the book she's a weather weather lady. Um, yeah, he's sleeping with Winona Ryder, and he's married to. Um, I keep wanting to call her Faye Dunaway, but that's not her name. Um, I also forget. Mm, Kim Basinger. Other, yes, I was going to say the other famous woman we named at the top. Yes. 
Yeah, he's married to Kim Basinger. She's sleeping with one like, of Graham's friends. Yeah. He's sleeping with Winona Ryder. But they're trying to get back together. Yeah. He's like shoving his face into my hand, and then when I try to pet him, he's pulling away. I don't. He doesn't know what he wants. You're he's falling Harvey. apart. Harvey would fit right into the informers. You really? I would. can. Oh my god! I definitely see. It, it would be. She would be. Or he. Ah, sorry. Uh, he would be Kim Basinger's dog. Yeah. Um, 100%, who does not like Billy Bob Thornton, who always nips at Billy Bob Thornton, doesn't like anyone but Kim Basinger, and, like, um, is just sort of, like, I don't know. I guess he would be a metaphor for something. Mm. But, but he definitely would, I feel like his barking and stuff would fit perfectly well. I feel like that one aspect of Harvey is maybe what Bretty Snellis thinks all dogs are. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, always barking and only like one person <laughs> yeah oh i think he'd be a great actor i think so too i want him to play bruiser on broadway in legally blonde it's like the uh, animals who act are like the most amazing and they <laughs> deserve all the treats yeah they're so good yeah harvey has big dreams we're gonna get there someday <laughs> he also went out for the so talk about chihuahua but he didn't get it yeah um, so, um, Kim Basinger is fucking one of Graham's friends. Is it Martin? I think so. Okay. Wait, wait, is there, is there a Mark or am I just making it up? Cause I knew it was an M name. I, I don't, don't know why I thought Mark, no. but, um, but Martin is the one that... it's the one who also has sex with Amber Heard and okay, him yeah, in like that's the Martin. threesome, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. They, yeah. Oh, there's so much to unpack with all of that. There is a lot to unpack. Um, because I, I, I'll just do you mind if I just kind of full steam ahead no, with that? It. Yeah. Because um, Amber Heard's character um, at the end of the movie is uh, I don't know if they ever say it, but it is pretty explicitly supposed to be AIDS. Yeah, I don't that think she they do has. say it, but it's pretty clear. Um, and. Yet all of the people that she has had sex with don't. And they, they, it's very much like, oh, one day she's healthy. The next day she's like lying on a beach next to dead, like talking about how she needs to get more sun. Um, but none of the other characters who she has had sex with have it like like there's no way they understand AIDS or HIV at all and it's it's the 80s and it does make me really really angry that like they chose I think you said the director or it was oh yeah you said it was it's so basically it was gonna be like a joke in the yeah, campy gonna, version of the movie. Yeah, in the version that Brett and, and Nicholas Jarecki wanted, it was going to be, like, full of AIDS jokes. And, um, and it was going to be, like, played for And laughs. then they did it just as bad, which is serious, <laughs> but, like, deeply, deeply misunderstanding anything about it. Yeah, and, like, um, really using, really kind of just using AIDS to be, like, she is being punished for being yes for slut. being like yeah because the 100%. whole the whole movie she's like just getting like she's just getting railed constantly it's terrible she just and i don't think she does anything bad no. and like yeah absolutely i because i can't think of any like she doesn't hit someone with her car yeah. <laughs> um but yeah that's that was like one point where the movie just got like incredibly frustrating to watch because mm-hmm. it was like 
you're trying to throw this serious thing in like it's no big deal and they are just so unprepared to actually examine it um yeah yeah and yeah it is super it is so weird that no one is concerned that they might also be infected and she totally everyone is fucking her yeah because she she also just totally skips hiv and (laughs) basically just goes right to like death's door and it's just also just like uh like from a from a point of like queer history just like incredibly unsensitive (laughs) which you know isn't something that anyone involved in the movie cares about but it like just is a fact yeah um so I'll just keep my hand down, and okay. if he sniffs it, we'll just. Come here. Oh, there you go. Oh, just so... give me a kiss. <laughs> He's so weird. Baby, you're so weird. He's real hot and cold, much like Brian Metro, who we meet next. <laughs> Oh, uh, Brian Metro. The rock star. Yeah. Yeah. They look like they they picked the name from a like rock star name generator website. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and in the movie, his band is called The Informers, which is not the case in the book. But I guess they just wanted to throw in some justification for the movie to be also, called that. what a that. terrible name for the band. They're like <laughs> a pop punk band, sort of. Or like a, they're supposed to be rock, I guess. But yeah. like, what a... That's such a terrible name for a rock band. What kind of name, what kind of band do you think The Informers sounds like? Oh, God. Do you just think it's a terrible name in Um, general, or specifically for the kind of music they do? I think specifically for the kind of music they do, but I don't think it's a good name for a band at all. Yeah, Um, Because, like, The the Informers sounds like an accounting agency. (laughs) Like, it doesn't sound like anything that should, like, want to be perceived as cool, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it is, it's like the snitches. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh god, I totally that went right over my head. Yeah. (laughs) That's really bad for a scene where they're constantly doing cocaine. (laughs) Yeah. Uh I guess it's, you know, ironic. Like upright citizens. Oh. Freddie (laughs) Snells and his irony. Classic. Classic Freddie Snells. Um so Oh, I guess that probably wasn't his fault. I don't know. Maybe it was the director. Who knows? I'm always so worried about saying something on this podcast and blaming something for something that isn't their fault and then getting, like, I don't know, 10 years down the line, they'll be like, I would have given you this $5 million, (laughs) but you said that mean thing about me on uh, Freddie's and Hell Yes. Um, Brett is never going to be in a position to give you $5 million. (laughs) (laughs) Just blame everything (laughs) I'm putting my money on that right now. (laughs) Uh, so Brian Metro is a British rock star. Um, we're introduced to him when his private jet is flying into LA, and he seems very drugged up. And his manager, uh, his manager Reese Iphens, is like, "That's LA," and he's like, oh, "Did I used to live here?" And that's supposed to seem significant that he's asking somebody whether he used to live in LA. I don't know what it's supposed to signify uh, <laughs> other yeah. than just like that he's real drugged up and doesn't remember his life. Yeah. Um, and then we and then we go to him in a hotel room with two very young 
uh, groupies. Underage. Underage I, groupies. I think they they are pretty. I think they. I think he says. I think his like manager says that okay. or something. Yeah, in the book, they're uh, explicitly underage. I couldn't remember if they made it clear in the movie. Yeah. But yeah, and he he just like stumbles into the bathroom and calls calls somebody and is like, "Get the kids out of here!" And they just drag these kids yeah, out. Yeah, like security guards. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, this one and the Mickey Rourke one were like the worst to watch because it's like when you see like the fancy like I don't know like. Uh, Graham is from like a wealthy family and his dad's a producer and like they're doing like bad stuff definitely but it's like I don't really care about watching bad things happen to like him and his friends as much but then it's like here and it's like this in the Mickey Rourke one where they like kidnap the kid and I'm like I'm actually watching like scarring traumatic shit happen and it's like why i don't uh. <laughs> and that yeah and just the whole brian metro thing ha- comes to absolutely no conclusion also it sure seems like the movie thinks he is like pretty cool i i i think i think that's one place where like yeah american psycho does really well because like you're watching patrick bateman and from the view that you're watching him it's like oh like you see him for who he really is I feel like they kind of try to do that with him but I don't think it holds because I do think they think that being a rock star is like pretty dope and they sort of (laughs) get caught into like making it seem super cool and it just does and these terrible things happen and it's like this isn't cool this is really fucked up yeah um the one thing I said this before but the one thing that I like about Brian Metro is the the actor's performance I feel like is a really a really good combination of like c- kind of like sad like self-pitying and like sensitive uh and like really vicious and violent and horrible and i like really like the depiction of those two things existing side by side in one person uh and like how you can be like a sensitive boy and still be <laughs> super yeah. abusive yeah yeah i i wish that because because yeah after you mentioned that I I definitely saw that in his performance and I really wish they would have given that um more room to like shine in the movie um because that's the kind of thing where I feel like even if like he as an actor is like and it definitely seems like he is like doing that and really like trying to give it his all like you have to have like the story around it to support that and like to actually like critique it and they don't and that's like such a disappointment because I I do actually I I, like I think the part of the reason that it's so frustrating and hard to watch is because they could be doing something that actually like shows um sort of how people like that are and they just sort of like brush over that for the most part unless it's like the particular sort of um because there are there are moments where they get that aspect of his performance but it's only moments that they think fit with the story but since mm. the story isn't really anything those moments sort of lose all of their potential power I guess I I don't quite know how to describe it because I do think he has a phone call um, because we yeah. learned that he has a child um, who he hasn't seen for good reason I'm <laughs> guessing yeah. and he's talking to his wife and basically he goes between being like 
I'm gonna sue you like I gotta like I'm gonna do this I want to and then like crying and being like I got like I just really want to love like I love him I really want to see um and I feel like that movie resonates with the sort of like empty vibe that that the informers movie as a whole that that scene resonates with the vibe that the movie as a whole is going for and that's the only reason they show it they don't want to show anything that dissonates that is dissonant with that even though there are aspects of his character that would really bring out um the like good critique it just like would say something and then not be empty and then the movie doesn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> but yeah his his storyline is is really nothing like it's one of the more nothing and he's like so not and he's connected not even to anybody con- exactly that's <laughs> what i was just gonna say he's not even connected to other people's stories yeah so it's very it's really strange like it's not as strange in the book because they're connected much more loosely. But in this, everybody's like a pretty tightly knit social group. And then there's like a random rock star. Yeah. I guess they're kind of like, oh, we're going to go to this Brian Metro concert tonight. Right? Like somebody is going to the concert, I think. Probably. But I can't remember who. I totally forget. I think maybe Amber Heard and Graham might go or something that would, that would make sense is it is it after the concert that Graham has his thing where he's like I just want somebody to tell me what's good mm. and what's bad that would make sense yeah because they because they're driving around yeah. um, and then they go up on the hill but even so the concert doesn't have any like significance for them it's just a concert that they yeah went to. <laughs> it does yeah they don't like notice anything yeah I didn't even notice if it happened <laughs> or not so yeah it's very pointless um yeah, he could so easily have not been in the movie at all, and I don't know why. 100%. I don't know why they bothered. <laughs> um, but I do think that actor's performance is really good, so I want to give him his due. Um, okay, and then who else do we have? Oh, so Tim Price goes to Hawaii with his father, Les Price, Ugh. who was in, who I know, his name is Chris Isaac, the actor, who I know from Fire Walk With Me. Have you seen Fire Walk With Me? I haven't. I've only uh, seen the first season of Twin Peaks, and I need to see more. Yeah. Um, You're going to love The Return. You're going to love it. I am so excited. <laughs> um, I fucking love Twin Peaks. Um, God, now I'm thinking about how much more I would rather talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, I do I want to start a David Lynch podcast eventually that makes me again really sad because he just plays a total dick the whole time and I like desperately wish he had more to do this is another, they are just like mean to Tim the whole time he clearly doesn't want to be on this trip with his dad his dad hits on much younger women and it's incredibly uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they make jokes about him being gay and it's like I just hate watching this. Yeah. And that's now whenever I know cuz like if he I'm I'm just assuming that he has wider acting chops because he was in Fire Walk with me and now it makes me sad that he didn't get to do more. Yeah. Yeah. Um I feel like the like the really uncomfortable thing of somebody's old weird dad uh, and is he sick in in this movie? Was there something about him being ill? I can't remember. I totally don't remember. Okay, maybe there's I not. do feel like there was a sick dad, but I can't remember. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, is he sick in the book? I can't remember. But um, there's another scene. There's a scene in Rules of Attraction 
where Sean Bateman recalls a time that he was with his dad and his dad was being really embarrassing and hitting on two girls. It's like the same scene. Oh. Like he's out with his dad and his dad's like being gross and embarrassing and hitting on. And in that scene, Sean Bateman's dad is like terminally ill. Oh. Um, so I can't, I'm not sure if I'm mixing the two up. But the, the fact that this like identical scene occurs in two different um Freddie Stanellis works is it's always really interesting to me when he echoes himself that way yeah yeah, and part of it might it might partially just be that like I I sort of think a lot of the stuff in the informers is kind of like the beginning kind of like the first drafts of what his later works became yeah so it might just be that but also whenever whenever like the same thing happens twice in a Freddie in like the world of Freddie Stanellis I'm like that happened to you in real life But yeah, it's just conjecture. Would, uh, <laughs> but it's very painful to watch. And, like, these women are much younger than the dad, but, like, much older than Tim. Yeah. <laughs> like, Tim's, like, 19, and the women are, like, 30, 35. And, like, honestly, I kind of can't think of any more to say other than, like, his dad embarrasses him, he's mad about it, and uh, he, like, finds a nice he like chats with a nice woman on the beach and they go to dinner and then they both make fun of him for being nice to the gay people at the bar and like that's literally the entire plot like yeah it it, like I think we we can we can probably literally just call it there which is wild (laughs) which is unfathomable for something that probably takes up like 20-25 minutes of the runtime (laughs) like and nothing happens yeah it's so pointless but then when you start digging into like why did that make it into the movie? Why did that make it into the movie? It's like, hmm, why did any of it make it into the movie? Yeah, There's not really a storyline where you're like, oh, that's the one that they should have pursued. Do we go to um, the guy who works at the hotel next? Yes. Jack, who works at the hotel. Who's who also, by... I think, gives a really good performance. Yeah. And Brad might be, Renfrew. like, the only semi-good person in the movie. He's not a good person, but at least, like, when it matters, he does the right thing. Yeah, he clearly um, has a moral compass. Yeah. And, and he wants to be an actor. Yes. And he's played by Brad Renfro, and it's Brad Renfro's final film before he died of, I believe it was a heroin overdose. And he was only, like, I think he was really young. 25 or something yeah. when he died. Yeah. So he's, he's, a young, he's a young troubled man in this movie, playing another young troubled man and it really kind of it really shows like there's really an authenticity to his performance yeah Um, yeah definitely yeah it doesn't feel like the movie deserves credit for the fact that like his real life tragic circumstances make the movie like make his scenes land harder but they do yeah yeah i agree and he's um the, like I thought, like the saddest moment with him was when he he was like kind of desperately trying to network with Graham because he, he knows his dad's a movie producer. Yeah, um, and he, and Martin, he knows he's friends with Martin, who's a music video director, um, and he says like, you know, you have to do a lot of terrible things to make it in Hollywood, um, which is true, <laughs> um, and it's very true in like the world really, of this movie. Really sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he gets a call from his uncle, Peter. Played by Mickey Rourke. Played by Mickey Rourke, Um, yes. Doing a very Mickey Rourke thing. (laughs) Just, you know, I feel like... I feel like every movie Mickey Rourke's in, he, like, 
dresses the same way and wears sunglasses. Yeah. I maybe I just haven't seen that many Mickey Rourke movies, and that's probably it. But <laughs> I feel like I like. I feel like whenever I picture him, that's just like exactly what he looks like in every movie that I see him in. Yeah, it does. It feels like he refuses to go to wardrobe and he's always <laughs> filmed in whatever he was wearing that day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's all just like, it's so Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Um, and he definitely, also like, he's a good actor. And so I, it seems like he's sort of sleepwalking through this role, but mm. he's also good enough to make that good enough. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, because he doesn't really have to do that much. Um, Just literally in broad daylight at a park, grab a kid and put him in the back of a van (laughs) and nobody says anything about it. Yeah. Um, Which I think is wild. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he is going to then, I believe, try and... He's like passing off the kid to like another group of people and it's... It's And that's how... um, it's Brad Renfro's character. Jack. Jack. That's how Jack gets looped into it is because he is at his house. Also, I will say, I, I feel very bad for Jack, but also how does Jack live in a house? <laughs> how does Jack live in his own house where he doesn't have to worry about people hearing the child that is stuck in his bathroom? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, it does seem like uh, like Jack comes from a crime family and he's trying mm, to leave true. his crime family behind. So maybe... He, when he got out of the family business, they gave him like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, <laughs> used it to buy a house. <laughs> Theory. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what that's what I'd do. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I, uh, I, it just it feels so bad for him because he just totally gets strong armed into doing the stuff that he doesn't want to do. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really tragic. I would say this and and Graham feel sort of like the main stories that are like pulling in the film. Yeah. Um, and neither of them have much going on, but I would say this one is definitely the most like sort of three act plot heavy sort of deal. Yeah. Definitely. If you were going to choose a, if you were going to choose a storyline to try to expand into a full movie, probably the Jack one is the only one that could, that would, that yeah. could hold it up. It probably wouldn't be like a great movie, but like it, could be a movie yeah and the the jack storyline is much darker in the book as we talked about there's yeah. a whole pedophilia angle that is eliminated from the movie yeah. I, I, wisely. I feel like yeah I, I feel like it's still implied but mm. i'm i was i was really really worried um that it would like try to make it a thing and i was very glad that it didn't <laughs> yeah um certainly doesn't seem like a movie that has it in it to handle that well absolutely so. not absolutely not yeah. um and the big change yeah. of this storyline from the book is that at the end um peter tells jack that he has to kill the kid and jack like cuts his hand open to like cover himself in blood to make it look like he killed the kid and then he lets the kid go but in the book he kills the kid and just does like a horrible job of it and it takes forever he just stabs him in the stomach like 20 terrifying to think about yeah i can't i just that he wants to be an actor and he's never seen a movie where someone kills another person (laughs) apparently yeah i also feel like i feel like in the book he didn't want to be an actor I feel like he, mm, that was, make sense. he was just like a low-life criminal and he just wanted to Sorry, do like low-life crime. <laughs> yeah, I think in the book he was like a 
a low level criminal who wanted to be like running drugs or something, but he uh, didn't want to. He didn't want to be abducting children. But then he just kind of gets like sucked into. He, he just sort of like through inaction, through like not protesting, even though he doesn't want to kill the kid, he ends up doing it. Which is another thing that feels like Brett sort of working through themes that he would explore later. Yeah, he's kind definitely. Of, it's kind of like Clay from Less Than Zero in that way, but because it a did. It did definitely feel... I was glad it happened, but it did feel a bit out of place that he let the kid go. Yeah. Um, so I can... I, I do think that is like an interesting examination of sort of just getting stuck in a situation because you you don't say anything beforehand, you know? Yeah. Um, and... Okay, and then after that... Oh, then it's Hawaii. Oh, and so then um, Graham confronts martin about whether he oh, yeah. and christy have been sleeping together so graham wants to be exclusive yes and and graham and martin and christy have threesomes and so martin is like of course i've been sleeping with christy you know that and he's like no i mean not besides that uh which is kind of funny <laughs> I, I i do think that is kind of where he's just like we can all sleep together but you can't sleep with her separately yeah. <laughs> It is interesting. They're sort of like, <laughs> they're trying to maneuver uh, <laughs> the rules of a poly yeah. situation. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's I, not really explored in an interesting way, but it could Yeah. Be. I, I do wish it was because it, it like, I, again, like, I feel like if they had a genuine conversation about this, like, it could be interesting. But um, as it is, it just sort of comes off as him trying to be possessive of Christy. Yeah. Um, and she's just chilling drawing horses and notebooks <laughs> um and, and having sex for this entire movie oh yeah very rarely has a shirt on yeah um so she she does not want to be tied down yeah. by grandma yeah. or anyone else yeah it's like has he talked has he talked to her about this probably yeah. not and uh, and when he says that he he doesn't want anybody else sleeping with Christy, uh, Martin's kind of like, oh, you have you have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> feelings are not good to have. Not in this movie. cool. Yeah, it's definitely like worse than kidnapping a child for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's very clear <laughs> in the text. Yes, um, right there. Also, just not a good thing to have in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not true. Um, um, this scene, the Graham confronting Martin scene, leads into what, in an alternate universe, <laughs> did you get Harvey? I got Harvey in my mouth. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. um, this leads into a scene that, in an alternate universe, would have been um, John Foster's Oscar moment. He goes this uh, big. It's his like rebel without a cause moment. One hundred percent. I love it. <laughs> it's the one part of the movie where I was like, if the whole movie was this vibe, <laughs> I would be here for it. <laughs> so what's the like? What's the thrust of his speech? Like, what's the vibe that you like? So this here? is them. They're like sitting on like on top of a mountain in their car, mm -hmm. looking over the Los Angeles skyline. <laughs> And he's and and Martin's like, oh, you know, feelings for Christy and all that. And he's, I can't even remember what kind of spurs him on, but he does have a little bit of a speech beforehand. And then he he just says like, 
you need someone to tell you what's good and you need someone to tell you what's bad because if someone doesn't tell you those things then how do you know (laughs) and it's like they totally thought it was going to be like a quoted line they thought it was going to be like you either die a hero or live to become a villain sort of deal and it just if the rest of the movie was that sort of silly with the self-seriousness over top I think it would have been fucking hilarious to watch um but sadly it just isn't really ever silly like that before uh, again or before I get why you think that would be a good line for this movie but also I feel like these people all know how to pretend to be good Mm. so just do that (laughs) like I but it's supposed to be like oh they have this aching emptiness inside and they don't know what direction to go (laughs) and it's like I don't know get rid of your money yeah <laughs> like maybe that'll help it's just it's such a it's such a ridiculously ridiculously silly moment that does not understand what it's trying to do at all and I I adore it for that <laughs> I thought his speech and he gives it his all he he's does. like all in on it and I think it's easily the best scene in the movie <laughs> It is true. It is a truly like solidly performed, yeah, ridiculous model. They're in front of a green screen, which is awesome, and you can definitely tell it's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, um, and then I think that this leads into him going to see. I I feel like this. Yeah, does, we're at like the end really, of the scene. Does Martin tell him? Oh, by the way, Christy has. I think I think he does tell her that. Tell him that she's sick. Um, it's either now or it's like the next scene they're together. Oh. Um, I can't remember, but I, I do know. I feel like maybe it's a phone call that he gets. Oh, Because yeah. everyone's been trying to call one Christy, of... but she's like trying to recoup at the beach. Right. Okay. According to Wikipedia, one of Martin's lovers calls Graham from the oh, beach. Okay. It's a different guy. They all look the same. <laughs> That's also part of this world that I think I, I just, like, love is that they're like, oh, I'm staying in this place tonight. I'll be over there. And, like, mm. they have multiple houses that they sleep mm. in, and it's just – I love it. <laughs> I, like, I, I just – I would love to be like, oh, I'm staying in Malibu this week, so I won't be able to come. But, um, but yeah, and then we go – do you want to tie up this thread before we go back to the others? I feel like we sort of already did. I think we did. Like, yeah. just none of them tie up, but I feel yeah. like we saw them all through to their conclusion. Because he goes, so he goes to the beach to, like, see if she's okay. Um, the person there is, like, she needs a doctor. She needs to see the doctor, but she won't. And then he goes up to her. And this is another, I feel like, line that they thought would be, like, kind of an iconic line. Mm. Is that he, he keeps saying, like, yeah, you have to go to the doctor, all this stuff. You're really sick. She's like, I, I just need more sun. Just need more sun. Um, and she's, she's laying very there. pale. She's laying in her bikini. She looks like a corpse. She has like bruises and stuff. <laughs> yeah. She she they made her like very very pale and like yeah. blue. It's weird um, how she's both. She's like both sexualized and like a zombie in the same yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah, and and I feel like that is almost like exactly the connection. Like that that is like the exact through line of like them sexualizing her so much and then like condemning the sex that she actually has you know um from like the movie's morality standpoint um and it's sad yeah i christy gets a real you know 
she gets really put through the ringer and it's and it's unfortunate yeah um and she doesn't i don't think she ends up going and that's like sort of the end of their art it just sort of cuts yeah um, he doesn't convince her to go anywhere she's just staying I think there it, so. i think after that like brief exchange he walks away i think that's, yeah and that's where it ends it yeah just roll credits he's just like I guess. well let's try yeah <laughs> uh just you know see that that's that's why you don't have feelings <laughs> that's the <laughs> way it gets yeah yeah um god that actually is like a weirdly that is like weirdly emblematic of sort of what the morality of this movie is is that she has sex and is provocative and thus gets aids and is dying and then his like punishment quote unquote for having feelings is losing the person that he has feelings for and Mm -hmm. it's like all the woman (laughs) actually being punished you know (laughs) yeah that feels I don't know. That feels very indicative of sort of like where this movie goes. Yeah. It's like she got AIDS and he's like, why does everything happen to me? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's the movie. It's not much of a movie. It's like 88 minutes long, but it feels much longer. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything that. Oh, there is one good scene that Mm. I do want to mention. I don't know about good, but it's. uh kim basinger find realizes that bobby billy bob thornton is having um Mm. an affair with the newscaster and and they have a whole scene where he is trying to sort of reconcile the situation and she sort of ends it by being like get the fuck out of my house and i actually really like that scene um because it just I don't know. I, I I actually enjoyed that sort of portrayal of them. Like they're trying, they're trying to make it work, but like not really. They're sort of just <laughs> doing it for the image of it, uh-huh. and then um, just like the foundation is already so broken that there's no way for it to ever come together. And I think she she gets to have like a nice moment where she tells him to get out, and he's just like kind of begging and pleading and trying like but in a way that is like incredibly manipulative Mm -hmm. and i i was very glad that she was just like stood firm and she was like nah (laughs) so i i think that that's actually like another scene in the movie that i enjoyed because i think the performances brought a lot to it yeah yeah i'm not really interested in like the relationship that's going on in that moment i just i i I have trouble investing in like affluent people yes 100 <laughs> but it is nice that it's like two like good seasoned actors like yeah. playing off of each other and there's like a strong emotion so they like have something to play yeah so it's just it's yeah it's not like a great scene in my opinion but it is like hey there's some a- there's some this, actors this getting is, to do the this work this is actually a scene <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is objectively it is a scene yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else worth noting. <laughs> Some mean kids ask Winona Ryder for oh, her autograph, right. and yeah. that's where her that's thread right. ends. And I didn't know what the fuck that was at all. <laughs> I knew they were being mean to her, but I didn't know like the mechanics of how they were being mean to her. They were just sort of laughing at her getting her autograph, and it's yeah. like, oh, this is sad. And I guess we'll never know how Renona Ryder feels about it. <laughs> to me, it, it kind of made sense 
that it's like she's you know a newscaster a pretty square profession True. and they're she's like they're a recognizable the, face but not a celebrity yeah and they're like a punk band so and and they send up one one punk comes up to her to be like local newscaster i'm your biggest fan can i please have your autograph and like she knows that he doesn't he's not actually a fan and he knows he's not actually a fan but she's just like being polite yeah and then he goes back to his friends and they all start laughing i felt like i got i guess i just don't know why it was there at all i mean fair enough i feel like i feel like it, it seemed like the kind of scene that comes after when she like had like accidentally swears on air or like mm. does something embarrassing on air oh, yeah but like nothing happened so i was just like okay yeah that makes sense yeah there's Although not to be really fair a... that's like a decent amount of the movie <laughs> fair enough yeah there's not really a sense that that she has anything to be embarrassed about or that yeah. she yeah uh that's a good point yeah it would make more sense if like her affair with billy bob thornton was in the news yeah, or something yeah yeah but it doesn't seem to be. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember, just since we're closing out, um, so we're running out of things to say about this movie, um, do you remember who was originally supposed to play Amber Heard's character? I've already forgotten the character's oh, name. Oh. Um, Christy. It's one of the Olsen twins. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it was Ashley Olsen. I am not surprised <laughs> that she didn't. Yeah. But I think she also would have been very good. Yeah. It would have been uh, definitely interesting and distracting. Yeah. Casting. I do. I do kind of feel like that would be a bad casting move. Yeah. Um, and we looked at her IMDb last time and it would have been like, she hasn't really done anything like post Olsen twins yeah it would have been her first thing after New York Minute so it would have been a pretty bold coming straight out of like Disney yeah. Channel basically uh, it would have been akin to when like Selena Gomez was in Spring Breakers yeah and everyone was freaking out <laughs> um yeah that's so that's so interesting because like now the Olsen twins are just like fashion icons yeah <laughs> and that's really cool yeah <laughs> Yeah, what a, what alternate universe? I'm I'm curious about the alternate universe where she did that. Like, yeah. are they still in fashion? Are that you know so many questions? I, yeah, I my theory, I think it would have barely been a blip on her radar. <laughs> I think her life plays out exactly the same true, from there. True. On. <laughs> uh, but we'll the never one know. the one other thing that we did talk about last time that I do want to mention was that last time we recorded it was right after the first earthquake. Oh yeah, and um. I just do still think it's incredible that Brett Easton Ellis got saved. Um, That's right. Todd from, saved him. Yeah. I, I just, that, I saw that tweet and I was like, like, incredible. <laughs> what a hero. Yeah. I genuinely, I think that that was like the best thing to come of the earthquake <laughs> happening was just a tweet that said, I saved Brett. <laughs> um yeah, I want I want the details, but I think you pointed out last time that like that's a story that will get worse the more details I know. Yes, like the ideal. Version I want of it to it be like him tweet. lifting the house off of him. <laughs> yes. You know, I want it to be the most dramatic <laughs> thing in the world. Like I want the next Brady Sonalis book to just be like for that to be the climax. <laughs> um, 
I want a Todd Standin character to appear in a Freddy's Finellis novel so badly. But he yeah, has I feel really like that would be fascinating. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it would probably be not good for Todd. <laughs> it would probably yeah, not I end up flattering. That, like, <laughs> I, I can imagine that just any time that, that you are in a work of fiction – uh, like of your significant others it could be a bit fraught yeah and like when when brett casually talks about todd in interviews and stuff he's like oh my my liberal fascist millennial boyfriend yeah. has a serious pill addiction so like if he wrote a full novel oh it, yeah it would probably get ugly just a short no i don't want to know i don't want to know <laughs> all right well i think we've said all we have to say i think so too all right and so now all there is to do is to rate this film on a scale of one to five some things from the movie so instead of stars it's something that you pull from the content of the film uh do you know your rating presumably you do do. because i'm gonna do the same one i did last time okay which is i'm gonna give it a half sushi or one half out of five sushi bars at my funeral um which I want to give it that one half because I do think the cast really puts a lot of effort into it um and I think that they every once in a while every every once in a while (laughs) they can like transcend what is happening um everywhere else and um yeah, I, I, I do think they deserve that one half star for their effort. I think everything else is pretty dismal. If this had been most any other movie, I would have rewatched it yeah. <laughs> two weeks after uh, initially recording, but I just could not put myself through it yeah. um, again. Uh, so I do not recommend watching it, but I do think that at least um, it has a minimal redeeming quality. <laughs> yeah. I agree. There are a couple of of pretty good performances, and I don't really feel like there are any. I don't really feel like there are bad performances. Yeah, um, I think occasionally some go over the top, but never to the degree of like. Whenever they do go over the top, it does still feel like it fits. It feels yeah. almost like a self parody that actually engages with the tone as opposed to like oh you don't know what movie you're in you know yeah yeah and I definitely feel like there is a real like ensemble feel like it really feels like everybody's kind of inhabiting the same the same world the same yeah. Brady Stanellis vibe definitely like infuses everything so yeah like really the actors are kind of the only aspect of this movie I can give any credit to and also the I guess the cinematography sort of it's like not really interesting but it is like competent beautiful yeah yeah the shots look nice they're not like creative but they're like it looks good yeah like a still of it would look really good um so yeah i'm gonna give it uh one uh dead body by the pool (laughs) uh for that reason and i yeah i don't i don't recommend this to anybody i don't know who the target audience for it would be fucking idea who the target audience for this would be (laughs) yeah and it i i don't think they're 
I mean, I don't think anybody regards it as a success. I don't think there's anybody who's like, oh, my my precious informers was so <laughs> underrated. Like, I think everybody. I mean, I guess I don't know how the director I feels think about it. It's like an eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Really, like it's really low. <laughs> you know what? I I did see when I was googling it before we started recording that Roger Ebert gave it a pretty good review. <laughs> I think he gave it like and three stars been, out of five. That would have been like. Real, it, it wouldn't have just been RogerEbert.com, you know. It would have been like oh, yeah. real Roger Yeah, Ebert. 2008. That would have been that would have been him. Yeah. Damn. He liked it. But he's I got- don't agree with Roger <laughs> Ebert very much. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I feel like, yeah, this is widely understood to be a failure and rightfully so. <laughs> and no one needs to bother watching it. <laughs> the best purpose it serves is like providing some footage for John Foster's reel. Yes, definitely. Uh, all right, that we did it. The, the final entry, the is... most informers that I will ever encounter in my life in any period of time. Um. So now that that unpleasantness is out of the way, I like to give the listeners an opportunity to cleanse their palate with something that is not written by or based on the works of Brett Easton Ellis. You can recommend whatever you want. I always recommend, I try to always recommend a book that is rec- that is written by a person who's not a white man. Uh, do you know what you would like to recommend, Maddie? I do. Um, and it's going to be different than both of the ones that I recommended Hell last yeah, time. Hell yeah, let's do it. Um, and I'm sure most people have seen it, but the Emmy nominations uh, just recently came out, and uh, Beyonce's Homecoming got nominated. Mm. And uh, it is the movie I've watched the most this year, um, <laughs> and it is currently like one of my favorite movies of the year i think it's it's like outstanding and it's like a really 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 just incredible piece of art um not only from uh pure performance choreography music standpoint but from the way that it's directed and um the way that she brings in all the behind the scenes footage and it's just it's incredibly beautifully put together it's um, a very moving, very like pumped up, fun, but also like deeply resonant uh, two hours and 20 minutes. And I am so glad that it's on Netflix. And I think everyone should see it, regardless of whether or not like you're a Beyonce fan or not. I think it is like necessary viewing. So. All right. I will watch it ASAP. It's what? what is it it's like it's a documentary yeah so basically it's chunks of uh her coachella performance Mm. uh cut between the two weekends Mm -hmm. which is as an editor makes me like freak the fuck out (laughs) because they literally do a cut where like they cut on a move and it's like a shot but they're all the outfits change because they go from weekend to weekend but it's just like a super smooth like like the camera's moving and then boop all of a sudden, uh, they're wearing different clothes. Uh, it is cool as hell. And uh, the amount of planning that went into it, I cannot even fathom. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's chunks of her Coachella performance um, interspersed with behind the scenes of her preparing for her Coachella performance. Her and, like, the band and the dancers um, with her narrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of just kind of brings together both the performance and what she was aiming for, what she was trying to shape. 
um, sort of how, what her life looked like as she was doing this. Um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of a combo documentary, like, concert movie. Cool. Um, so it's really, really good. All right, I'll definitely check that out. Um, I'm going to recommend the same things that I recommended last time, which uh, breaking breaking my format a little bit. I'm recommending two short stories instead of a book. Um, two completely unrelated short stories, except sort of thematically, um, to ba- balance out the fact that this movie is about a bunch of white people with a lot of money and not really a lot of problems other than the ones that they create for themselves. <laughs> um, I'm recommending two different stories that kind of are from perspectives that we don't see as much. So one is The City Born Great by N.K. Jemison, which is a really, I don't really like fantasy, but I really loved this story, um, even though it's fantasy. Uh, and it's, it's set in New York, and the premise is sort of that that New York is that all cities once they've existed for long enough have the opportunity to become like like living entities and New York is just on the precipice of being born but there's one like chosen person in New York who is there to help it be born and the person who is that for New York is a a gay homeless black man who is the narrator and he's so great and you you just you really don't get to see that kind of perspective in fiction that much and you really don't get to see them being like heroic and triumphant, um, but you get to see that in this story, and it's really great. Um, really, it's a really delightful read. It's really beautifully written. And I love it a lot. N.K. Jemison um, is also, and I haven't read any of her work, which is terrible because I actually love fantasy, and she is like, I mean, I like kind of can't think of like a better. She won. She won the Nebula, I think, like three years in a row for one of her trilogies. Like she is outstanding. Um, but she's also a great Twitter follow. If oh, you wanna, yeah. yeah, she is. She's funny and also really uh, like smart. And has really good uh, observations about things. Nice. And then my other story that I'm gonna recommend is called uh, "Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience" by Rebecca Roanhorse. Um, you said last time that this sounded like if Westworld was good. <laughs> um, it's like a near future a sci-fi story where. Uh, um, a lot of Native American people are employed working at this sort of like VR experience company um, where they they play like a Native American spirit guide um, and give white tourists the sort of experience of a spirit guide that they think feels authentic. Um, and it sort of, you know, goes into colonialism and... Uh, appropriation and um it's got like a sense of humor but also like a real a very real darkness to it um it's a really great story i likewise don't really love sci-fi that much but i also really love this one uh so those are my two recommendations uh maddie anything you would like to plug um i i'll plug my twitter uh maddie underscore maddie maddie m-a-d-e-y-e underscore m-a-d-i um it's mostly just me talking about movies. Um, but yeah, every once in a while, I will retweet in there. So I think it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're great. Highly recommend. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie L. Wright. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Brett Easton Pod. Uh, and you can check out some of the other amazing, uh, amazing shows here on the Major Cast Network. We got, we got, media majors we got filmographers we got the double x files 
and so many more. Check it out, and then also maybe go on Patreon and search for MajorCast, and maybe give us a, a couple dollars if you can. They would be great. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.